Welcome friends. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare, parenting adult kids, and what it's like to be a woman of God living in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is the place where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine. It's also the place where I process my thoughts regarding what's going on around me. Last week, the Southern Baptist Convention took place in New Orleans. Tom and I didn't go this year. In fact, when we went last year to the convention, it was the first time we'd participated in many years. Our not going does not reflect, though, our lack of love for or appreciation of the SBC. You'll hear more of that come through my conversation coming up. Let me preface all of what I've said on this podcast with this. This is the Leanne McCoy podcast, and therefore the place where I can say what I want to say. I'm not in any position to make any decision about the future affiliation of Thompson Station Church with the SBC. That decision would be made by the leaders at Thompson Station Church. And right now, Tom and I are in a transition year as we prepare for him to vacate his seat as senior pastor to Sam Landreth, who will become the lead pastor in January 2024. So whatever Thompson Station Church decides to do will be up to the leaders and the people sitting in those seats. Praise God. (laughs) And then apparently the SBC is placing itself in a position where they might make that decision for us. And what I'm saying does not necessarily reflect what Tom or Sam think. I didn't discuss with this with them before I recorded it. What you're about to hear is my personal perspective on what happened at the SBC last week. Nothing more and nothing less. Remember that as you listen. The Southern Baptist Convention voted last week to uphold the recommendation of the Executive Committee to deem Saddleback Church in California and Fern Creek Baptist Church in Kentucky, quote, not in friendly cooperation, unquote, over the singular issue of the pastoral role of women in ministry. As I followed this story, I have two observations. Reverend Linda Pofan of Fern Creek Baptist has been in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention while serving as the senior pastor since 1993. It's one observation. My second observation is that Saddleback Church ordained their first three women as pastors in 2021, and none of them were in the role of the senior pastor, Liz Puffer, Cynthia Petty, and Katie Edwards. And when they hired their new lead pastor, Andy Wood, his wife, Stacy, is serving alongside her husband as a teaching pastor. So the three newly ordained pastors at Saddleback are longtime staff members. Cynthia Petty has worked with children's ministry and is now the next gen pastor, both roles that I've actually served in at my church. Um, Katie Edwards has been in youth ministry. She served in in junior high ministry and is now the student ministries pastor at the Lake Forest campus. And Liz Puffer is the pastor of pastoral care. She was formerly serving as a spiritual growth and development pastor at the Lake Forest campus. All of these roles are roles that women have had or could have had at Thompson Station Church through the years. So one church was kicked out for having a senior pastor after 30 years of 
them being in the convention with her being the senior pastor. And one church was kicked out for having four women serving on staff who were just called pastors. (coughs) Excuse me. Those are my two observations. Now for a bit of my personal story. I have a beautiful sapphire ring. Tom gave it to me when I graduated from Southwestern Seminary. This ring was his way of saying, you did it. You wrestled through your calling, stayed the course, stepped out in faith, and chose to finish what you started in seminary. This ring also says from him, I support you 100% in your calling to serve the Lord. I'm not going to stand in the way of you exercising your giftedness, and I will support you through whatever doors the Lord opens for you. Tom gave me that ring and celebrated my graduating because he knew that marrying him shifted what opportunities I would have to serve in the local church. As a pastor's wife, it was unheard of for women to be on staff at in Southern Baptist churches. As a woman, my opportunities to follow my calling were better than they were as a pastor's wife. I could be a children's minister for sure. I could also be a youth pastor, perhaps, or a youth minister, excuse me. I could also be a minister of education. This is what we used to call the pastor who served the full program of the church from babies to senior adults. I knew that because I was a woman, I could never be a pastor. Before I ever went to seminary, I had a long talk with my dad. I was trying to understand what God was calling me to do. And I was taking an honest assessment of my interest and my giftings. I told my father that if I were a man, I definitely want to be a pastor because I love to teach and speak publicly. I didn't call it preaching because I was a woman. And then I also love to lead. I love to pitch vision. My wise father assured me that God knew how he'd gifted me and that God would open the doors to service and place me where I could thrive with all of my gifts. So... Just trusting God with an unknown future, convinced of the calling on my life, I headed out to Fort Worth, Texas, and I had in mind that most likely I would get my master's degree from the seminary and serve the local church, maybe as a minister of education. And one day, if I were successful, I would get to lead conferences and speak springboard into a more public arena from that place of ministry. But when I married Tom halfway through seminary, I almost quit. I thought about going back to school to get my master's degree in education so that I could teach history at either the high school or college level. That was what Tom and I prayed through. We were both convinced that God would never revoke his calling on my life and that if I were called to vocational ministry before I met Tom, marrying him would not remove that calling from my life. That was our step of faith, and that was really why he gave me that ring. When we got to Tennessee to start a church with eight people in the tiny community called Thompson Station, I had perfect freedom and liberty to do anything and everything in our church start. I even played the piano, which I was not gifted to do. No one cared. No one cared what I did or that I was a woman or a wife doing it. Back in our early days, we just had all hands on deck mindset, and there was no time to discuss gender equality in the local church. Southern Baptists have an organization called the WMU, or Women's Missionary Union. 
I knew about WMU because my mother was an active member and I made my profession of faith in Jesus at a GA camp. GA stands for Girls in Action. And Girls in Action is sponsored by and hosted by the WMU. What I didn't know was how organized the WMU was and that they had such a sophisticated structure where women could grow in their leadership abilities and serve across the Southern Baptist Convention on the state level by promoting missions, teaching women and children, training leaders, and writing, which was something I had so wanted to do. God put me on the staff with the Tennessee State Convention in the WMU office where I had opportunity, incredible opportunity, to exercise all my giftedness, to grow and to flourish. I was mentored by a great and godly woman who was an incredible leader, Dr. Catherine Bryan. And in that role at our state convention offices, as a young woman in vocational ministry, I even got to become a published writer. I worked full time with the WMU and then the rest of the time alongside Tom at Thompson Station Church. I also became a mom. And with motherhood came the next hard decision, and that was to leave WMU full-time so I could spend more time with my children at home. I continued writing for them, and then I also started writing for Lifeway Christian Resources after I left the full-time working world. It really worked out perfectly. I had just enough outside interest to have little breaks here and there from being a full-time mom, and then also opportunities to... um, to continue to serve the kingdom work in the way that God had gifted me to do so. It wasn't until our church grew to the point that I needed to be either on staff or not that I felt the first bit of pain when my role as wife to Tom became the only basis for some people in our congregation not wanting me to be, quote, on staff. I was called. I'd followed that calling to be educated. I'd served my church for years without pay, making it possible for Tom and me to live in the area by working for our state convention. And then when it was time to be rewarded for all of the success of the work that we had been doing, 70 people left the church because they were so opposed to my taking on an official role on staff when I was voted in as the preschool and children's minister. Unfortunately, and this is more on me than anybody else, I never really got over the feeling of rejection that first what we used to call backdoor revival, that first backdoor revival delivered me. Tom has had to deal with my insecurities and wounds, and I have too, the all of the rest of our years as we have served Thompson Station Church. Along the way, after I was on staff, I was the one who designated the titles of our staff and simply chose to call the women ministers and the men pastors because men were our pastors, not women. It honestly didn't matter to me what you called me, nor if you paid me or not. What mattered was being able to serve as a member of the team in an environment that was healthy. Eventually, we brought many women on staff, and for years, we continued to call the women ministers and the men pastors. If a man came along and served the children, he was called a pastor. If a woman served in that role, she was called a minister. I knew it felt a little weird, but I never thought of it as misogyny because women were treated with utmost respect, and the work atmosphere was such that our voices were heard and our input was valued. 
I also considered myself a complementarian. I was and am in full agreement that God made women to fulfill a certain role and God made men to fulfill a certain role and that both of us are living as beacons of the image of God, a complete picture when we're working together in our respective roles. I saw God's intent as complete and I loved how we could accomplish even ministry better together. It really wasn't until women began to rise to senior level roles that someone brought it to my attention that the men went to lunch together a lot more than the women did. And even though the guys love to talk sports, they also discuss church work in the casual settings. Also at this time, more women were also serving the church in ministry roles full time. And there are tax privileges that come with being a pastor. So that was brought to my attention. Then when I served as the next gen team leader, I supervised pastors that were men and ministers that were women who had the exact same job descriptions. Tom and I began to wrestle with this discrepancy. We spent hours discussing the theology. I could host another entire podcast sharing what we learned in that. But for this podcast, just know that we landed where the biblical role of the senior or lead pastor, what we could call the head shepherd, was for a man. All the other ministerial roles that we called pastors and ministers could be led by either men or women. And therefore, our women could be called pastors if they wanted to. The job descriptions were changed to pastor and the women decided that they wanted what they wanted to be called. We made new business cards and just left off the pastor or minister. It simply said, Angela Connections, Chip Worship. I avoided the fray by calling myself a team leader. And when I sent emails to my SBC friends, I signed them minister. And then when I sent emails to people outside the SBC, I signed them pastor. I used whichever term seemed to communicate best with the recipients. And that, my friends, is my story of how we might soon no longer be a Southern Baptist church. It has nothing to do with our support of missions, nothing to do with our adherence to the Baptist faith and message, for the most part. I'll expound on that a bit later. And nothing to do with our willingness to cooperate with our state convention and national work. Tom and I have served our convention as speakers, writers, conference leaders, trainers, encouragers, Tom as the president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention and on multiple boards. The woman who leads the state Tennessee WMU worked for me years ago on our camp staff. We've promoted offerings. We've supported our camps. We've encouraged our leaders. We've even had one of the Southern Baptist Convention's executive directors as a member of our church. How we got from graduation in Fort Worth, Texas in 1988 to this vote in New Orleans in 2023 is baffling. As our church grew from 8 to 2000, we chose to cooperate with Southern Baptists by giving a percentage of our budget through what we call the Cooperative Program. The Cooperative Program, or CP, is Southern Baptist Unified Plan of Giving through which cooperating Southern Baptist churches give a percentage of their undesignated receipts in support of their respective state conventions and the SBC missions and ministry. My friends, giving cooperatively, voluntarily to this fund is a little bit of what makes us Southern Baptist. 
At Thompson Station Church, that amount grew from 3000 in 1989 to 321000 this past year. I share that to say that the SBC is a multi-million dollar operation, making it the wealthiest non-Catholic denomination in the America today. There's a lot of money, organization, and structure involved in the SBC. All of those things are great for efficiency, but they are difficult for maintaining dynamic personal relationships. Perhaps that's why when Jesus served in his three years of public ministry, he went toe-to-toe with the organized religion of the day. In Jesus' day, organized religion had become self-proclaimed experts at interpreting the law by adding more and more laws. They were good at telling everyone around them what was required to be in and then what constituted being out of good standing with the community of faith. Sounds a whole lot like the kind of business that took place at the SBC in New Orleans last week. Even though the SBC is a multi-million dollar operation, it's shrinking. Giving this year is actually six million less year to date than last year, and membership is declining at an alarming rate. In fact, I learned this about membership in the SBC. And I'm quoting from ChristianHeadlines.com. The report released on Tuesday, and this was Tuesday in May, revealed that the SBC had 13.2 million members last year, a 457,371 drop from 2021, when it had 13.68 million members. According to the annual church profile compiled by LifeWay, this membership decline is the largest drop in over a century. In 2016, the SBC peaked with 16.3 million members, but by 2018, it had lost 1.5 million members. Since 2006, the denomination has lost more than 3 million members. Membership is currently the lowest it's been since the 1970s. So my friends, we have a convention that is ousting some of its churches, tightening the reins of membership, and declining in both money and membership all at the same time. Something most people don't understand is that the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, really only exists for three days every year. The rest of the time, it's um, we have the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention that carries out the work of the convention. It gets a little more complicated than that, but suffice it to say that we are ruled by majority vote and a representative um, group during the year. We are a real democratic society. Tom and I quit going to the Southern Baptist Conventions a long time ago. The work there just didn't seem to be as important as the work in Thompson Station. In fact, I missed the convention this year to be a camp counselor for a cabin full of sixth grade girls at Mountain Week for middle schoolers, where I saw hundreds of middle schoolers going all out in worship, listening, I mean, quietly and paying attention to solid biblical teaching, and many of them making professions of faith and commitments to baptism. We celebrated those baptisms Wednesday night last week when I would have been traveling back from New Orleans. And I wish you could have been in the house. Children were sharing their camp enthusiasm with their parents. They were making their professions of faith public. And several parents responded to the message Wednesday night and decided to be baptized along with their children. 
We have baptized a hundred people in the past three weeks at Thompson Station Church. Now, where would you rather be? <laughs> at the Southern Baptist Convention this year, roughly 12,700 pastors and wives, entity heads, and other interested people gathered together to do the business of the 47,198 churches that cooperate together to do missions and ministry. I guess we have 47,196 churches now. They decided that several were not in friendly cooperation because women were called pastors and given freedom to serve according to their giftedness in their local churches. I found it explained like this. All Baptist churches are independent, so the convention can't tell them what to do, but it can decide which churches are not in friendly cooperation. The official verbiage for an expulsion. The SBC's official statement of faith says the office of pastor is reserved for qualified men, but this is believed to be the first time the convention has expelled any churches over it. You see, my friends, the convention in New Orleans acted in violation of its own statement of faith when it exerted authority over these churches by expelling them. I'm going to give you two reasons to support this statement. First, a foundational value of Southern Baptists is that we are autonomous local congregations. This means that we don't have any creeds that we must ascribe to in order to be Southern Baptist. We do have a statement of our faith called the Baptist Faith and Message, but it is not a creed binding us together. Here's a great explanation of how we regard the Baptist Faith and Message and maintain our autonomy as local congregations. I'm quoting from the Ethics and Culture blog post titled, Can Southern Baptists Use Creeds? The Southern Baptist Convention is a confessional network of autonomous local congregations who have generally clustered around mutual affirmation of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 as a minimum statement of theological belief that permits cooperation, though there are churches that are in cooperation with the SBC based on cooperative program giving that do not affirm the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Many Southern Baptists are clear that they see the Baptist faith and message as a confession which loosely binds rather than a creed that more clearly delineates and binds. Thus, affirmation of the Baptist faith and message is not required for churches or pastors to affiliate with the SBC. Back in February, when the executive committee of the SBC decided to expel five Southern Baptist churches for having women in the roles of senior pastor, and in Saddleback's case, they went one step further by expelling them for having women in pastoral roles other than the senior pastor, then chairman of the executive committee, Jared Wellman, said this, as stated in the Baptist Faith and Message, Article 6, the SBC holds to the belief that the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. These churches have been valued cooperating churches for many years, and this decision was not made lightly. However, we remain committed to upholding the theological convictions of the SBC and maintaining unity among its cooperating churches, unquote. Huh. Does that sound like we're operating according to our own stated values? The executive committee took the Baptist faith and message, a confession that loosely binds us, and turned it into a creed that clearly delineates who gets to be Southern Baptist 
and who doesn't. There were five churches, by the way, that were deemed not in fellowship with the Southern Baptists because of having female pastors. Only Saddleback and Fern Creek appealed that decision in New Orleans last week. Secondly, the SBC went a step further than even our statement of faith when they deemed Saddleback Church not in fellowship. While Fern Creek did have a female senior pastor, the women on the Saddleback Church staff served in roles of next-gen youth pastoral care and teaching pastors. None of them were in the role of senior pastor. Now would be a good time for me to share what the Baptist faith and message does say about the church. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its two scriptural offices are that of pastor, elder, overseer, and deacon. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor, elder, overseer is limited to men as qualified by scripture. The New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Note that the addition of elder overseer was added at the 2023 convention. So that goes back to its two scriptural offices are that of, it used to say pastor and deacon. Now it says pastor, elder, overseer, and deacon. Ironically enough, I found an article written in 2000 where where Reverend Poffin at Fern Creek was asked for her response to the changes of the Baptist faith and message. And when I found this, I realized that she wasn't flying under the radar, but rather kept in the convention in accordance with our understanding of cooperation. Here's what was written in that Baptist Press 2000 article. Fern Creek Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky remains linked to all three levels of Southern Baptist life. Half of its mission offerings goes to the Quartet Baptist Fellowship. That's another story for another time. While the other half goes to Southern Baptist causes. The church's female pastor has a 17-year tenure on staff, moving into an interim role in 1990, and then as pastor in 93, she attributes the lack of friction in her association to the good relationship that has been forged and continued involvement in her associational missions. So, Fern Creek had a senior pastor that was a woman, even with this change in the Baptist faith and message of 2000, that clearly states that the office of of pastor elder overseer is limited to men. And yet they were still welcome to be a part of the convention because once again, the Baptist faith and message is not a creed. It's just a loosely agreed, this is what, for the most part, we believe as as Southern Baptist. I got to thinking about the revisions of the Baptist faith and message over the years and discovered that the original document created in 1925 stated that the two offices in the church were that of bishops or elders and deacons. No mention of a pastor at all. In 1963, the wording was changed to pastors and deacons. 
And in 2000, the statement about the office of pastor being limited to men was added. Then in New Orleans, it was changed to pastor, overseer, elder. And so that wording has gone through a change several times over the last roughly 100 years. Interestingly enough, in 1925, 93 words explained what we as Southern Baptists agreed on regarding the church. In 1963, it took 158 words to explain what we agreed on regarding the church. And then by 2000, we increased that to 195 words. Last week, two more words were added twice, bringing the total to now 199 words to state our loosely binding beliefs regarding the church. It seems like to me things are getting a little bit more complicated and a little bit less loose over the years. Not only did the 12,700 messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention make a statement to their 47,198 churches and 13.1 million members by expelling these churches, but they went a step further by overwhelmingly approving a proposed amendment to add a qualification to Article 3 of the Southern Baptist Convention's Constitution. Article 3 outlines the requirements of churches who are approved to send messengers to the convention, and that proposed amendment says this. Churches will be considered in friendly cooperation only if they do not affirm, appoint, or employ a woman as a pastor of any kind. What? Where did this come from? It's as if two wrongs are trying to make a right. Since the messengers upheld the decision to oust Saddleback with its women who serve as pastors other than that of the overseer or elder, they now want to change the Constitution so that any church that has women on staff that are called pastors will no longer be able to send messengers to the convention. According to Rick Warren and the research he did in preparation for this convention, there are 1,928 churches with women on staff called pastors. Thompson Station Church is one of those. I want to share what our churches, what Thompson Station Church's statement of beliefs is. We have stated on our website that we embrace the Baptist faith and message with these addendums and additions. And because we are able to be Southern Baptist and be loosely binding, we can adjust the Baptist faith and message to more clearly align with what we practice at Thompson Station Church. And one of our addendums is this regarding what the Baptist faith and message says about the church. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of the senior pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. 
where the SBC voted to change the office of pastor to the office of pastor elder overseer, several years ago, we changed that phrase to simply the office of the senior pastor. The issue at hand, my friends, is that of women in ministry and what their roles are. What does the Bible teach about women and the roles that they can serve in the church? I hosted 10 podcast episodes last summer unpacking this very thing. We called it the Truth About Women series. And I interviewed some top-notch women in the Southern Baptist Convention. If you'd like to learn more about what the Bible says about women and how God uniquely fashioned us for a specific purpose, go listen to those podcasts. They are rich. But for now and for here, I want to say that I find it interesting that women are welcome to serve in many roles in the church, even in the same ones where they are called directors or ministers, while their male counterparts doing the same jobs are called pastors. Why? If the women are capable of serving in those roles, why are they called something different just because they're women? Does that change their role? Does it change their pay scale? Does it change their privileges or their responsibilities? I have a few more questions. Were pastors preaching in the first century? Were men or women doing the pastoral care? Who led the children's and the youth ministries in the early church? (laughs) My friends, even in the Southern Baptist Convention in 1925, The role of pastor, the word pastor, was not seen as one of the two offices of the church. As Southern Baptists, we've cooperated together to do great things through the years. And I agree with Rick Warren that the secret to our unity was our diversity. But where once the autonomy of the local church was celebrated, we're closing in with more restrictions, more exclusions, And now apparently another qualification for churches sending messengers to the convention. Now is a good time for me to remind anyone here in this who cares (laughs) that to change the constitution of the Southern Baptist Convention, there has to be a two third majority vote two years in a row. We can turn this around. All we have to do is miss camp where the fun is and go to Indianapolis next summer to cast our votes. Of course, we women could just stop what we're doing in our roles as pastors, sit out a few months, or I know, I got a better idea. Let's get together somewhere fun like Arizona and host a massive prayer meeting and just pray that God would open the eyes of the men so they can see just how much we do compliment them in the leadership of the local church. I'm good to go whenever. (laughs) All fun aside, I do want to say one more thing. One of the fallouts of what happened in New Orleans last week is the way the world interprets what happened. Listen to how MSNBC interpreted these votes. 
At the Southern Baptist Convention, representatives just voted overwhelmingly to oust churches with female pastors. I want to bring in NBC's Aaron Gilchrist, who is following this story for us. What exactly happened here, Aaron? So, a couple of things, Chris. Actually, just as you were reading that intro, I got confirmation that the same organization, the same annual meeting that's been happening in New Orleans, the membership there just voted to essentially ban women from any leadership role in the Southern Baptist Convention. Any church that is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, this is a, a, a two-part vote if you will, that has to happen. The vote today passed the amendment changing the constitution for this organization. There will have to be a second vote next year at the next annual convention to make it a permanent move for the church. These two churches in particular. And there you have it. What the world heard was that the Southern Baptists have banned women from any role in the Southern Baptist church. My friends, we are here to bring good news to the poor. God has sent us to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. As a woman in ministry whose spiritual journey is flavored inside and out by the SBC, I do care. I care a whole lot about women and what opportunities they will have to serve the kingdom as they put their yeses on their tables. But I also realize that with or without a great convention, God's church will prevail because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I was sitting under the Nevada sky at sunset near a railroad track when God called me to full-time vocational ministry. I was serving as a summer missionary, paid a stipend by the North American Mission Board for my 10-week commitment to the rural churches in Nevada. And I was having both, both the best and the worst time of my life, much like ministry has been ever since then. I needed to hear from God regarding my future and I wasn't sure which way to go. I loved a good argument and had intended to go to law school after graduating from Sanford University with a history degree. Ironically, I was there at the same time Al Mohler was. <laughs> I saw a railroad spike and thought of the spikes that went through Jesus's wrists and ankles when he hung on the cross. Still, without knowing exactly where I would serve or what the future would bring, I committed all of me to all of him. I determined that evening at sunset to go with God all the way, wherever, however, whenever, whatever. Whatever he wanted from me, I gave it all to him. And I began to redirect my thoughts toward seminary rather than law school. And you know how the story proceeded because I started with sharing that at the beginning of this podcast. I want to close out this my reflections of what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention and the roles of women in ministry by sharing with you some of the quotes from Todd Unsicker's um, sermon. He, he delivered the convention sermon in New Orleans last week. He's the executive director of the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. And I'm just pulled out a few of his quotes that I thought were spot on. Being on mission together means we better be people of prayer who are willing to suffer for the name of Jesus for the sake of the lost and the worship of the one true God. Prayer shouldn't be the last resort, but a primary strategy 
Maybe what the world needs now, maybe what we need now is hearing from God, calling out to him instead of airing our own opinions. And then this, I'm afraid some of us in this room live more for the convention than the mission. What if we spent half the amount of time tweeting and posting on Facebook and spent that time sharing the gospel, soul winning? What if we spent half the time reading and reacting to the daily airing of grievances and instead we got serious about making disciples? Why are we letting our convention get sidetracked by and influenced by those who ignore Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, when it says to put away bitterness, short tempers, anger, shouting, and slander? My friends, that I would have loved to have been in New Orleans to hear in person. Let's not be a laughing stock to a dying world, but rather a magnet with an irresistible pull toward Jesus because of the way we lift up and love one another, release each other to the, use our gifts to their fullest extent, create atmospheres where people grow and thrive and yes, flourish in their giftedness. And if we can't do that with a family of 13.1 million, let's do it really well within our local congregations and our communities. It's not that hard to have a healthy church. If it's complicated, you're doing it all wrong. It's also not that hard to discern the voice of God. He knows how to guide and direct you. Just wait till you hear his voice to take the next step. And I love you, SBC. But if you choose to not be in friendly cooperation with TSC, we will be A-OK. In the show notes, I've listed all references to every article I quoted in this podcast. It's not that hard to find information online regarding the Southern Baptist Convention and this remarkable outcome of this year's convention. I hope that if any of my friends are listening to this and disagree with me, they will reach out to me so that we can exchange thoughts and grow together. I hope that other women who have platforms like this will use them to encourage and exhort the women in ministry in Southern Baptist churches to stand up and to speak out. This is not the time to sit down and be quiet. I also want you to know that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. I am a living, breathing testament to the power of God to open ministry doors, to make ways to exercise the gifts he's given you so that you can impact his kingdom through what it is that you have to offer. We're in a kingdom, we're in God's kingdom business and we'll continue to be in that. The Southern Baptist Convention is merely a vehicle, a train, a plane, an automobile. Its effectiveness and its relationship with you will neither make you nor break you. My girlfriends in ministry, both pastors, wives, and others, God's got this. I look forward to sharing with you on a different subject next week on the Leanne McCoy podcast.